0: Thanks. <laughs>
1: Welcome to another ByteSide. I'm Seamus Byrne. This is a show about tech and games and digital culture and nerdy things of all shapes and sizes. Joining me, as usual, is Nick Healy. Nick, how are you? I'm really well. And
0: I just wanted to quickly say it was actually nice to see you face-to-face last Friday at the Lizzie Awards, the um, yeah. IT Journalism Awards. They're normally held, of course, in February. They got pushed back courtesy of COVID-19. Uh, congratulations to everyone who actually made away uh, with an award it was um it was a very interesting crop. I thought it was um some years you see that consumer technology publications get a lot of love. Sometimes it's more the B two B, and I I think this year reflected uh, a real thirst for enterprise stories.
1: Yeah, look, that's actually a really good point. That um yeah that there's been sort of so much in that space. I'm sure again next year that you know I'm I'm sure they'll have a big one because. It's been such a big year for that kind of whole transformation and enforced transformation for big businesses and stuff like that. It's not something we talk about much here, but it's such a big – like, I, I end up writing a lot about it. Oh, yeah. Um It's just not necessarily the fun stuff to talk about as as much, but boy, has there been – Yes, so much going on in that space. And you're right, IT News took out the big win of the night for the the gold Lizzie, as it's yes, called. Yes. Um it's no longer gold. Once upon a time it was, but it still has that name. And then uh and Paul Smith, uh my sort of uh, freelance boss over at the AFR, Australian Financial Review, and yeah, you know, I think both between IT News and AFR, like I think I saw a photo of Paul uh and his team sitting in front of like five awards yeah. no it, it was <laughs> at a table. Um I think by the end of the night Paul was basically apologizing. <laughs> it was a huge result. Um also
0: just lovely to see everyone in 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 a event context again. It's been a really long time.
1: And it was so like it was kind of surreal, you know, yeah. because it was You know, they had less tables than usual. Um, Tables were spaced out more. There were rules about sort of moving around the room. You couldn't just kind of stand around and have chats. I got in a lot of
0: trouble for that because I kept forgetting that um, after several (laughs) champagnes that you weren't allowed to stand up and talk to people.
1: Right, like that was the thing was I think for so many of us, this really was the first thing that we'd actually (laughs) gone to (laughs) where you're like, it wasn't just a select number of friends sitting around a dinner table together. It was an actual room full of people for an event. And and I think by also offering the streaming side of it, and look, you know, there were some quirky errors on that front. Um, the trap of trying to both include uh, recipient winners who uh, needed to make a speech via Zoom, but then they were trying to watch on a, like, 10-second delayed YouTube feed, Um <laughs> yeah uh for of course for a technology event to get that uh a bit of a mess always <laughs> always writes itself when it comes to how people think about getting that stuff wrong. It
0: made for a lot of humor during the night, but anyway, look, like, it was fantastic yeah. and and once again just congratulations some some really really deserving names there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, look, Nick, yeah. I have a loose end. We haven't had one of these in a while, but uh, when I was recently chatting to uh, Michaela Ledwidge, who uh, there's an episode of uh, Jetpacks uh, where we talked about uh, she worked with Harry Shearer of Simpsons and Spinal Tap fame, like wow. absolute legend uh, of comedy. He created an album called The Many Moods of Donald Trump uh, and created a whole series of film clips that were motion captured that had deep fake technology to make it look like he really was Donald Trump singing these songs. Oh my! Uh, sorry, I said oh my. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really remarkable. There's you know the story is up on Byte's Side and you can you know we've got one of the videos embedded. But yeah, had a great chat with Michaela about how an Australian you know, mixed and augmented reality media company, sort of managed to get involved with with him and create this work. It was really sort of a fascinating chat. But um, you have know, known Michaela for a long time, and I believe she's a listener of the show on a regular basis, so hello. Um, but she wanted to sort of call out the plant identification app uh, that you mentioned uh, probably a couple of months ago now. Uh, call, call, saying, out way, right? she, call out in a good way, right? Call out in a good way? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. Well, as something of an expert in sort of those sorts of technologies, uh, I think she did one obvious test, which was she, uh, over a few days, just kind of got it to identify the same plant multiple times and got a variety of answers.
0: <laughs> well, fine. All right. I'm glad that the testing... <laughs> Showed maybe some unre- unreliability. Look, it, that is a really good point because when I use it, I'm taking a photo, I'm looking at that result and I'm going, Oh, that's cool. And then I'm moving on. So yeah. I had not done any verification on that.
1: Yeah. Um, and, but it's, it's kind of that funny thing where you go, Oh, yeah. When you sort of jump through that. Rather, you know, I think that's completely one of those things where I'm like, yeah, that is exactly Michaela's kind of brain to go, hmm. Now, here's a way I could <laughs> run this test in a fairly simple fashion and discover that it's, yeah, really um, getting itself confused. But, like, there's definitely, you know, I'm sure that wasn't the only app out there. There's a few of those things around. I'm sure they'll keep getting better. And I feel like even for the idea, like, one thing I've been actually trying to do over the last week uh, was just try to work out what what actual type of grass is my lawn. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I really <laughs> wish there was an app that I could just point at my lawn and it would go, oh, yeah, that right there, that's like, uh you buff- Yeah, or well, it's not Buffalo. Buffalo is the obvious one. I but then there's you. all these other weird names that I don't really understand. Mm. And I'm like, mm. I think it might be one of those. Um damn it hurry up tech get this stuff right yeah
0: look i don't need to do that because i know that my lawn is 90 percent bindies at the moment it's just horrendous <laughs> um but no michael thank you very much i won't subscribe for another year i don't know where you were when i dumped that 14 dollars into my initial annual subscription thank you very <laughs> much for that um i will just say this that it did correctly identify patterson's curse and i've been happy
1: with it since then so it's fine well that's good job <laughs> particularly for a vicious weed like that you <laughs> want it to get that right not, not say, this is actually uh, lavender. See?
0: See? It didn't do that. So it's okay. Yeah. Look, um, Apple laptops, tell me what I
1: need to know because I'm hearing a lot of buzz about it today. All right. Yeah. Today was, and look, it has been three events in the past two months. Yeah. You know, sure. um, uh, Tim Cook even kind of called that out saying, we've had a busy two months. Um, and yeah, they've announced a lot of different things. Today was kind of the for me, I feel, felt like it was the most exciting day because it was, you know, 15 years since the last transition from PowerPC, the old IBM chips, over to Intel chips. And then today was the day when they were starting the transition to their own uh chip manufacturing or, well, chip designs manufactured by partner companies. Uh, but this is essentially them moving to their kind of ARM-based processors that they've been designing for their uh ipads and iphones and there's been a lot of sort of you know okay what's this going to mean what's it going to mean for speeds is this just a case of them sort of saying uh you know it's going to be cheaper if we just control everything and if we control our hardware then we're able to you know in the same way that they've felt like that's a big part of the iphone and the ipad right when you control both the hardware and the software you can do a lot more with it um Whereas, of course, you know, Intel wasn't going to go out and design custom chips just for Apple when they're just trying to sell lots of chips to everybody. Um, And so today was the day, and we started to sort of see their first uh, numbers on what they felt we can expect when we start to get our hands on these things. And, like, the numbers were huge. And, look, this is absolutely, I think, a point of interesting debate, but they were claiming anywhere from, you know, just saying in terms of processing that compared to their previous, uh, yeah, you know, so their Intel based MacBook Air, that the new MacBook Air gets three times the processing performance, uh, over the previous one. And like, yeah, you know, normally when we talk about processing upgrades these days, we're talking 20%, 30% would be like a really great year over year increase in laptop processing speeds the idea that they're saying that it's in the ballpark of 300% for you know what, your what, laptop much? processing speeds and up to like 500% for graphics performance and things like that is absolutely enormous
0: that is that is a 300% is enormous like absolutely enormous
1: yeah and i think yeah so they revealed well, so they've called it the M one. And this is I think a very kind of clever play by them in that everyone's kind of known the A series of chips uh that are in iPhones and iPads. And yeah, they've kind of foregrounded that a lot over the years, and they and so the numbering has kind of become a big thing, and they're up to like the A fifteen chips in the latest uh iPhones and iPads and things on the A fourteen, and then they like have a an X on the end for like Pro Edition iPads and stuff like that. Um So this is just called the M1, and I think it's kind of a nice way for them to sort of not directly tie, you know, what is the chip inside the iPad right now versus what is the chip inside the laptop right now. And, you know, in a lot of respects, I'm sure it's a slightly different design because it's now about doing a a different job, basically, and they know it's sitting in a different kind of body, which means they probably need it to do different things with the, you know, the heat dissipation and all that sort of stuff. Um, But, yeah, like the MacBook Air model, now it'll have – it's a fanless design, so the MacBook Air will run silent. They've said it runs at, um, uh, like, basically the longest battery life ever, vastly improved performance overall. Uh, They've also released the Mac Mini, uh, which they're saying, again, similar three times – five times types of of, uh, upgrades in performance and then the 13-inch MacBook Pro. And so, obviously, now they're holding out for the the 15-inch and the bigger models and the iMac and then, obviously, the Mac Pro down the track. I kind of get the feeling maybe they'll have next year sometime it'll be like a new – maybe it'll be like the P1 and call that like a performance chip instead of just being that really small and mobile-focused chip. But – as a first day for this stuff, it's really interesting. The stuff is on sale right now. Uh it comes out like if you bought one today, you'd get it shipped to you next week. Uh like I'm for all the numbers, I'm just really excited to actually see it being used because I think that's where it's going to really sort of become real because those numbers are just so huge that it's hard to quite comprehend what it's actually going to mean when you like click something in an app and see how it performs. How long do you think until we we get some verification on these numbers? Yeah, look, I mean one of the big ones that they used a few times is this idea of saying it performs this much better than the top-selling mm. Windows laptop on the market today. You know, and you're like, "Well, which one is it?" Like that, that that's that kind of thing where they'll make vague statements about what it's outperforming. And you're like, "That's a spectacular number i just i yeah i'd love to know what exactly we benchmarking it against i mean it really it'll be i'm sure what monday or tuesday i imagine we will start to get some actual uh you know journalist independent kind of tests running on these things uh, and start to get a very clear image of exactly where on a in a benchmark sense uh where these models are actually sitting not to get stuck
0: on this but i'm actually really curious when do And you do a lot more of this writing than I have in a very long time. Is it okay to repeat Apple say this will be X faster or, you know, X more beneficial or, you know, those numbers without the verification? Is that where we should be at? Should we say we will be testing this later on? What's the right way to go about that when we're talking about a brand new product that people clearly want
1: to know a lot about? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's it's fine at this point in particular because, like, one of the big things that I think most readers, that I feel like most readers don't care so much about, it's got a 2.6 gigahertz processor that turbo throttles up to 3.4 gigahertz uh, and it's like an <laughs> i5 class versus an <laughs> i7 class, you know, and all those kinds of, like, yeah, they are saying things like this is an 8-core uh, CPU and that, when they yeah you know, when they put down a claim like this is the fastest core on the market, I'm like that's a big claim, and as long as you are saying this is what Apple is claiming, mm. I'm kind of pretty comfortable with that. And that it, it clearly is that thing of well we're now just waiting yeah you know, they're not making us wait wait long like it would be it probably would be different if they when they first announced we're going to move to Apple Silicon, you know, let's say three months ago, whenever that was, it was probably, a, yeah, worldwide developer conference. If they just kind of said that and then went, and these things are going to blow everything else out of the water by like these huge numbers, then you're like, well, we have to wait a long time to find out, Yeah, you know, whereas this is literally, we're going to know next week. So saying this is what they're claiming, um, they, They spoke to one thing that they did was had a lot of uh Apple developers that sort of had little video clips in the presentation today. And they were talking about uh what it was like when they ported some of their apps over um because you know, all that developer stuff is important. They need to actually, you know, make that transition to run the code on the new format. Um but even that actually, you know, they Apple kind of said that and this is one where they said a lot of apps, and you're like, well, not all apps, but they said a lot. Just because the raw processing is so much better, um, that a lot of apps, even under the emulation system that they're using to run an app that hasn't been, you know, changed, that a lot of them will still run better on the new hardware. And like, that's the kind of thing where you go, that's what Apple's saying today. And next week, we're going to be able to put that to the test. Uh, and I think that's kind of the important thing is not just saying these will be, but rather saying this is what Apple is saying today.
0: Yeah, look, I agree. And I think that is important. And I think the claims themselves are in some ways newsworthy, but they need to be reported as claims, not as facts. And I I will say this, you know, I've worked on PC magazines um, with all due respect to the people who love this stuff. Speed testing is boring. And I, I think some of the reviews that go really deep into that, they are for a particular uh type of consumer and i don't know if that is the kind of people who think oh i might get that new macbook it sounds good they don't necessarily look for that granular testing detail that i think was maybe very common in the pc space
1: only a few years ago yeah look for me if it if these things were like 50 percent of the numbers they're talking about i'm like that's still a big upgrade and I'm kind of right now I'm pleased. I was tossing up that feeling of do, you know, should I get my next, you know, MacBook air before the changeover because the changeovers always take a couple of years. There's always some teething problems and things, but I see these kinds of numbers and particularly with battery life improvements and things, um, that's the kind of stuff that makes me go, actually, it feels like it'll be worth, you know, a few little niggles, um, because it's like yeah even if it was half as good that's still in the domain of like 50% better you know if it was half as good so yeah i'm more than happy of course you know if they make the claim of three times and some testing people go out and go well actually the averages we're seeing is really only you know 2.4 times better or whatever it might be and once they work out what what is this benchmark they're setting for better than That's, you know, absolutely a thing. But I think they were quite clear through the discussion when they were comparing it to the past generation of their own hardware and when they were comparing it to some unnamed Windows computer. And they're the ones I'm like, "Eh, I'm not going to the sharing that as a specific call-out, but when you're comparing it with your own stuff from the last generation, then totally, at least there's kind of a clear comparison that someone can look at. It's always really
0: funny to me. I look back at the kind of reviews you and I have done in the past, even on mobile phones, and th- there's often been that incredible obsession with, well, what's the 3 d Mark score? What's that chip speed coming in at... But I don't know if that ever translates necessarily into what it means in terms of differences for your real-world use, like how you're going to use that phone, how you're going to experience it. The numbers can sometimes obfuscate
1: the the actual impact of usage. Totally. Look, that's a great point. And I think it's something when, you know, I know someone actually, you know, did sort of ask me about some of these numbers t- uh, this morning on Twitter when I was up watching it all. and. Yeah. You know, and I was sort of pointing out, well, Apple's kind of chip designs have been doing so successfully for the iPhones and the iPads. And they were saying, well, you know, Arm's been doing kind of these great numbers on Samsung devices and all the rest as well. But, but it's like, well, the difference there is exactly like you're sort of saying, Nick, that the, when I then go and look at, you know, the actual those nerds who do the super hardcore <laughs> testing, so that I don't have to, <laughs> um, that they kind of keep pointing out that actually, by kind of actual usage sort of contexts, that Apple's, uh, I, you know, iPads and iPhones um, outperform in terms of raw performance uh, anything that you're sort of getting over on the Android side, and it's it's very clearly because of that synchronization of the software and the hardware because you know google is not designing android for a specific chip or for a specific handset and so it has to be a kind of more general purpose platform which can't be as customized you know, in that same way and i think some people have been sort of calling out the fact that you know and i think again totally fair to do it but that you know on the latest iphone pro models that the screen is still only like a 60 hertz screen and that over on Android, you can get some screens that are like 144 hertz and like really kind of super fast screens. Um And it's like, yeah, like that that's a cool thing if that's what you're looking for. But in a lot of respects, it's like day-to-day use. How many people are actually sitting there thinking about whether or not their screen is refreshing? Like, where are you noticing that? in any kind of real-world context.
0: You're not, unless you are an absolutely passionate and dedicated, um, I think, mobile gamer. And, and even yeah. then, those games are not necessarily pushing it. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how oh, this is going to handle the, the biggest, the best mobile games, but I still think when we do game in a mobile fashion we are still looking for a more relaxed gaming experience for the most part i'm generalizing um yeah what might be interesting is when we look at the kind of um broadening out of cloud gaming especially as it relates to some of the new consoles yes. and 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 those sort of you know um being able to play your xbox on your phone uh from a cloud environment that that is when we're maybe going to see this actually start to matter the way we've been told it should be
1: mattering <laughs> totally. And things like if you, you know, I mean, we could get it's, I mean, basically, we can do it right now. Just as I'm sort of saying, we'll soon get to the point one day. I'm like, no, you could do it. You could basically, you know, um, Chromecast or AirPlay your phone screen to a television. You could then sync up your Xbox controller and start playing on a big screen straight off your phone. Like, suddenly, that whole idea of needing the console isn't there anymore then you will absolutely be starting to go, well, how well is this phone doing at crunching that data and pulling it over 5G, whatever it might be? Yeah, that stuff becomes critical to... Are you enjoying yourself or not? Um, and so, yeah, yet another kind of big performance demand is probably right around the corner for some of this stuff and suddenly we'll have a a big reason to start demanding more of these things.
0: Well, look, while we're talking mobile phones, we might move on a little bit because there's something that's got me really, really intrigued, and it's actually happening in my area. Um, have you heard of the Yonder bag? Is that ringing a bell for you at all?
1: Yes, and... Like, it's a vague thing of, like, offices and stuff in America kind of talking about using it for locking up phones.
0: Yeah, Y-O-N-D-R, because, of course, it's just D-R. Why would you put an E in yeah. there when you're trying to name a tech company? It's been around for quite a few years, and it got very popular for a while with um gigs, of all things. So, oh. gigs, artist space phone free environments. And it is really, really simple. You lock your phone in it and then the phone can only be opened by uh, a special, a bit like when they take your security tag off your clothing when you're buying something, um, uh, at a store and they have to zap it with the, um, magnet. That's yeah. how the phone, that's how the bag locks. So it's not blocking signal or anything like that. It's just quite literally. Putting your, ba- uh, putting your phone in a closed padded bag so that you don't get access to it, and then you can unlock it on your way out of the space. Yep, it's been getting a lot of trials in US schools. Last year, New South Wales schools started looking at it, and apparently it's been quite popular. New South Wales, Mid-North Coast, I think Warchope, uh, were the first group to actually have a crack at it. And now Narromine School is going to be embracing it next year. So, I'm always intrigued by this. They say they're getting incredible benefit from kids more than anything being away from that social media connection, that distraction, but also what that can mean in terms of social interactions at school has been proven to be really popular. I just, you and I have talked about this a lot. Are we doing the right thing by taking away a phone or having, you know, saying no phone when you're in a school environment? Or are we better off trying to educate safe and, and, and effective use of that tool and the tool of social media while in school. And I, I know, you know, you, you've you got kids in this environment. We've talked a lot about how you parent in terms of tech use. Do you think locking it away is where we want to be?
1: Yeah, it's like it's a really good question. I feel like the biggest thing that I think is probably important is in any given school setting consistent rules Um, and and so in that sense i kind of really do like the idea that a tech like this is being used to kind of enforce a standard for everybody it's like if you have it put in the bag and then at whatever point in the day whether it's at the tail end of the day um i mean there's an element of you know you're kind of flagging an inherent distrust of the kids to not be able to police their own usage um, that if you set the rule of you know no using phones and then yeah then you're sort of policing it rather than saying we really do want you to respect the rule and then you'll get in trouble if you don't respect it um, I know at you know our kids school there has been a lot of kind of back and forth on exactly where that limit should be set sometimes I think you know I think that there is just a kind of a general rule that you're not meant to be using your phone at lunchtime. I'm not sure if that rule is there for kind of recess, whether it's almost like, well, because in my perspective, um, I kind of do feel like giving them a window of time where they might want to share some cool thing they saw, you know, or have those kinds of social interactions around their digital culture might be kind of a positive thing. But I also kind of get that, There are straight up some parents who are like, we have still decided we don't want our kids to have a phone yet or whatever it might be. And then they can end up deeply excluded if they're not able to, um, yeah, participate in those sorts of interactions. And then the other part of me is going, well, are they just like the kids from, you know, the eighties when it, when, you talk about a TV show and they're like, oh, yeah, my parents don't let me watch TV. <laughs> it's like, is it the same kind of ballpark at this point? Um And therefore, you know, it's just like, well, you can't expect everybody to stop just because some people have decided they don't want their kids to be participating yet. It's really complicated, but I think, you know, setting some kind of standards is is a positive
0: Look, I think it is – the standards is a positive thing. I think when I look at Yonder specifically, I'm fascinated in terms of, say, an artist curating a space and saying, look, when you're attending my work, it is yeah. a phone-free environment. That is that is a part of the um, stricture I am putting on you coming and participating in that work or enjoying that work. So, yes, I'm going to ask you to lock your phone. I understand that. I think of the amount of times I've gone to uh, movie previews and been having to hand my phone over to someone at the door and and just wait to get it back. Well, I could have had that phone in my hand the whole time but had it locked up, and I think I would have felt more comfortable with that. Yeah. I think if it for that environment. But I don't know if we're doing the right thing by kids, by saying you just don't get it. I don't have a good answer on it. I'd be really interested to see some longitudinal studies of what it has meant in a classroom. I hope they're being done. Um, But I can also understand that from a teaching point of view, there must be a huge amount of frustration that one of the most amazing things to distract yourself with is in the pocket or the backpack of every kid in a classroom these days.
1: Yeah, it's such a good point. And look, I mean the flip side of my own argument there as I think about it, and kind of like what you just said, is temptation is just a bitch when you're a teenager. As an adult, it's like when it's just sitting that you just can so easily get distracted and that there is something freeing about an enforcement, you know, that that you can then just relax and go, Oh, I can't even get to it, even if I wanted to. Um kind of like the way, you know, we've been sort of embracing the idea of like doing a digital Sabbath type thing now and then, Mm. when it's not just a little kind of small window of time, but instead we sort of, and, you know, we only do it, we try to do about once a month these days, but it's that feeling of saying, all right, you know, when I go to bed tonight, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to touch a device. I'm not going to look at a screen. And that sort of sudden relaxation you feel when you're like, It's just such a definitive decision that's been made for the day ahead instead of, you know, okay, I won't look at it before 10 in the morning or, you know, different kinds of vague rules. And so I can imagine that that sort of just enforced thing of saying it's in the bag, then it's like, well, I can't even get it and therefore I'm just going to relax and not even worry about it because it's not going to be part of that little temptation um, nerve in my brain.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm hoping to talk to the principal of Narramine School uh, in the next couple of days. So I'll find out what their take is on it. Cool. Looking at the clock, I've got a win for you. I've got a big win for you this week. Yeah. If you are a QR code, which neither you nor I am, but if you were a <laughs> QR code, it is a great time to be alive in New yes. South Wales. Uh, it is going to be mandatory for having digital COVID-19 registration instead of the sign-in paper that so many places are using it. That's going to tie in from the 23rd of November when a lot of the the final borders and some of those final restrictions drop down a little bit. So, yeah, QR codes is most likely, but it's a big shift. You know, there's still a lot of pubs I go to, a lot of bars, a lot of cafes, where they'll let you just scroll your name and number on a a sign-in sheet on the way in. All over from the 23rd, it's got to be digital, and I reckon most likely that's going to be the QR code. Although I will say there was one pub I went to in a very small town not far from here who had one single PC that everyone had to queue up behind and then (laughs) type in on to sign in. It had to be done on their sign-in sheet on their PC and all I could think of was just how wildly unsafe that was in its own beautiful way.
1: (laughs) And unsanitary, exactly.
0: Like, everybody (laughs) type on this dirty keyboard in the corner of the pub <laughs> it was quite hilarious but no so qr codes. yeah i'm pleased about that imagine having money in qr codes i mean do people have money in qr codes remember when qr codes came out and no one could really understand what we we're meant to be doing with them
1: yeah and you know i like i remember um uh hoyts put them on like seats in the like <laughs> premier class thing so you could order stuff to be delivered to your seat um except then it was like wait i have to like turn on the light of no, my mobile uh, phone yeah. to ah. <laughs> right. you got a win or a no, fail for me yeah i do um netflix direct i'm i'm kind of loving this story so it's netflix basically going hey what if tv <laughs> like what? literally it's going we're going to set up a linear channel that when you turn on netflix you could you could browse through things that are Available to you, or you could just let this channel that's already in, in action just start playing things at you, even if it wasn't something you, you wanted. Um, they're testing it in France. Uh, apparently France statistically has like a really high rate of traditional TV viewing still. So they we- decided it was a good yeah. market to just test the concept out in, but I'm in love with it because. You do get decision fatigue sometimes when you sit down in front of umpteen digital services and you don't know what you want to watch. And even things you put in a list and you're like, yeah, but I just, I'm not in the mood. Whereas you do know that sometimes when you just flick the TV on and something vaguely interesting is on, you go, are oh, you all right? And you just let it happen. So, but, 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 but we have linear programming. We have TV. <laughs> yeah. But like, but TV doesn't have. All the shows that are on Netflix (laughs) on it, it's got TV shows that are from the other TV channels. I like this idea of going, just give me the serendipity version of Netflix. Like, Netflix content, I know there's a lot of stuff in there I've never watched. What's on right now? And I realise it's part of what I love about Twitch, too, is I'm like, no, (laughs) I can't queue up Twitch. I just have to sort of see who's currently on and I'm jumping in midstream no matter what happens, literally midstream.
0: No, 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 no. no. This, <laughs> is, this is Silicon Valley, you know how every six months they reinvent the bus? Like, oh, yeah. what if it was Uber, but it took a lot of people on and followed a pre-programmed path, and you just had to hop on a particular station. Every six months someone invents the bus. This is this all over again. I don't, <laughs> like, you know, you, everything you just asked for could be sorted by an I'm feeling lucky button on Netflix.
1: Oh uh, Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Except there there really is a thing of <laughs> how many times have you kind of gone, oh, I don't want to watch the first 10 minutes of this thing to find out if it's good or not. No, nah, all Just- time.
0: All time. One of my, uh, you know, my comfort space is watching yep. half an hour of seven different movies before thinking, no, no, no. That's my Saturday night. I love it now. I live for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, what maybe the unfeeling lucky button that does just go can you just guys put some like meta tags into your movies and go that's a good scene we'll just drop them in in the middle of some cool scene I would do
0: that like you know when you think oh, I just want to watch something with that really really you know taken level of violence but I yeah. don't want any of the preamble <laughs> just get into <me> that <laughs> bit like, yeah what's he <laughs> yeah, doing I just the bit bit some people when he up. starts
1: hunting down the bad guys Yeah, that's it. That's I, all cuz I, I don't care I'm sure it's a daughter or a pet or a wife or um, some kind of, oh, yeah, maybe it's the the Theron version where she's hunting down someone because she's angry. Yep. Um, bring it on. I want the Nicolas Cage
0: movie, but not the half hour of him looking sad beforehand, but the, the, <laughs> the final half hour of when he's on the rampage. That's it. Yes. <laughs> we've solved it. Let's
1: go start a startup. <laughs> oh, my Lord.
0: Yeah, we're going to call it Quibi because I understand that there's a couple of um, uh, domain names going free now. It might be
1: going yeah, pretty cheap, <laughs> but a few people might accidentally still type it in sometime.
0: <laughs> James Byrne, shall we leave it there?
1: Yes. Nick, where can people find you and all your cool stuff?
0: Uh, come and see me posting photos of my rose bushes on Twitter. I'm at, at DrNick. It is dr underscore NIC. I've become that guy. I have become that
1: guy. <laughs> I'm at Seamus on Twitter, S-E-A-M-U-S, if somehow you haven't <laughs> encountered me in my name before. Um, and, of course, Biteside at Byteside on Twitter, at The Byteside on Instagram. And we are now posting lots of stuff on Instagram because, thankfully, one of my fab colleagues, Chris Button, has taken the reins on that and is doing some lovely Instagram posting of all the latest stories and things and doing Pretty stuff with it all. So that's awesome. Uh, and of course, you can email us ask at biteside.com. And, uh, yeah, Nick, good to chat to you again. And we will see you all again soon. <laughs>